Welcome to episode 327 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I just want to kick off this particular episode by saying thank you. So over the last few weeks, I have, or even a couple of months, I've been reaching out to my larger network asking for support in a number of ways. You've definitely heard by this point that my third book, Break Out of Boredom, Low Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Events, was officially launched in mid-March on March 13th, actually, which was the three-year sort of anniversary, if you will, of the lockdown uh, back in 2020. And by this point, you know, as I'm recording this, this was a couple of weeks before this airs, we've already crossed 200 five-star reviews on Amazon, which blows my mind. And that did not happen by just me. It was like a lot of people saying yes, and then following through with their intentions. And I'm so, 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 so grateful. And reading those early reviews when I was still in the process of getting the book finished kind of kept me motivated to get it out into the world because it's so hard to get a book out into the world, particularly one that people find useful. And it's apparent that people who are using Zoom, which is probably you, are finding this book to be a very good resource for really amplifying your message and creating these these, I don't know, transformative, inclusive, and engaging online experiences. The second thing that happened is that a couple of weeks ago, my wife heard about this fundraiser called Trans Rights Readathon, and we committed to fundraising by reading books by trans and non-binary authors, and then putting up a GoFundMe page to raise money for the Transgender Law Center. And when she first put it together on the Monday of that week, um, you know, it was like 10 bucks came in and a little bit of money came from family. And then on Tuesday, I made this sort of big decision to post the information about this fundraiser on my email list for my my business. Now, I am an out trans business owner of a certified LGBTE business and LGBT business enterprise. And uh, I've been pretty open about that, but I've got a lot of new folks that have joined my list in the last year. So I wasn't sure what the response was going to be, whether I was going to have a lot of unsubscribes, whether I'd be facing vitriol, whether anyone would help. And in the end, just in a few days, we raised $6,000 to this organization, including one person was so moved by my email that she directed $1,800 to be donated directly to the organization blew my mind. So if you're listening, thank you very much on a personal level. I love you. That's awesome. But everybody gave like $5 here and $20 here and $50 there. And it all added up. And some people gave $250. It was just really amazing. And nearly 90 people sent me a note encouraging me by hitting reply. Over 110 people contributed to the to the fundraiser. One person wrote me to tell me to repent. <laughs> uh, I'll pass. And um I don't know. I I didn't have very many more than the usual number of unsubscribes. You know, like every time you send email, you're going to have unsubscribes. If you don't want to have unsubscribes, stop sending email. But that's not the way you grow a business. So 
I'm amazed. Uh, the following week, I sent out the results, got even more responses, more money came in. Oh my gosh, my wife and I are really blown away. This is very personal to our family. There are, there are anti-trans and anti-LGBT laws and bills popping up all around the country. And there are three here in our home state of Pennsylvania. There are ones happening in your state. You can go to the ACLU to find out more about that and get involved. And then, you know, as a trans author, it turns out by reading my books, you are doing something to help you know, raise visibility of trans people, which is interesting that right in the middle of all this, the Transgender Day of Visibility was happening. And so um, just it's just been really interesting time in my business to to be very out about who I am and getting so much support about the work that I'm doing and the impact that I'm having on the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And now on to this week's interview. Today's guest is all about relationship building. He has created a unique twist to networking that transforms how and why professionals meet one another. After years of successfully growing his business through networking, he and his wife, Carol, founded Zero to 100, an inclusive networking movement that operates on a global scale. Focused on fostering a sense of belonging and gratitude and rooted in developing genuine and authentic connections in business and life, the movement includes books, networking events, and proprietary digital platform. He's been recognized by the business community locally and abroad through numerous publications and awards, most recently, Marquis Who's Who in America. He made history in 2021, becoming the first African-American in St. Charles, Missouri's 250-year history to receive the key to the city for his accomplishments and contributions to the well-being and success of their business community. Joseph, <laughs> welcome on the schmooze. Thank you so much for having me, Robbie. My gosh, I, I now I'm going to have to put Key to the City as a list of the things I have in my bucket list. I don't didn't even think to ask for that. Well done on you. Uh, so as you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So to so tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Leadership is said best by John Maxwell, which is the ability to gain followers. It is the ability to speak something and do something and have those two working congruently. Somebody who knows the way, somebody who goes the way, but more importantly, has the vision in terms of where they're going. That's the way that I would define leadership. So, um, I mean, quoting uh, John Maxwell is a great, has a great start. I mean, clearly the man knows what he's doing. Um, when you say like they have a vision, right? And they have, so, so because they're so clear, they then attract the people who want to follow them. Is that, sort of like a key component. Like if you have no one following you, then uh, then there's no visible leadership. Correct. Because people want to belong to something, but if you exude a high level of leadership, like many of the greats, historically speaking, leadership is inevitable and people will inevitably follow you. But more importantly, if you have a vision, meaning you've, you already know where you're going, you understand the, the end goal per se, and you're able to clearly define that, that is, I would say, an attribute of leadership. That's awesome. So when did you start to realize you had some of these, these attributes? So there's a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And I remember when I was first exposed to the book, and one of the things that I did was I rallied my entire family together, my immediate family together. And at the very beginning of the book, it has like a declaration of where you sign your name to commit to reading the book for 40 days straight. And at that very moment, I realized that I had the ability to lead people 
And what better way to do it than starting with my family? So leading my family on a journey, whether they believed in the book or not, just leading them down a road of just really good information. How old were you at that time? I would say teenager. Wow. I would say I was a teenager. And is this Rick Warren's book? Is that the one you're referring to? Absolutely. It's phenomenal book. Wow, that's really cool. Um, what, how, how did that book end up in your path as a teenager? It doesn't seem like, you know, common reading material. A friend of mine, one of my best friends, matter of fact, was actually reading it. We were in his truck. He showed me the book that he was reading. I immediately went to the store to get it. I love when someone can talk about purpose because purpose is the original intent on why something was created. I, I just, just being able to read a book around purpose. Because if you have no purpose, then what do you have? And I think that in life, you should strive to find what your purpose is. Oh, I want to wind the clock back just a little bit, Joseph, because if you're the kind of guy as a teenager who has friends who are reading books like this, who then turn you on to it, and then you run off to go get it, and then you go and get your family into committing to reading it as well. What were you like on the playground? Uh, you know, were you quietly observing? Were you organizing friends to, to play? Did you run for student office? Uh, were you active in a lot of clubs and associations? Did you have to work while you were in school? Like, what, was, what were you like as an earlier uh, childhood years? I was hyper. So when I was 11 years old, I used to take Ritalin. My dad used to give me Ritalin because of how excited I was. And I remember going to school, being so excited, climbing the walls in, in, in a literal sense and getting sent home. And at that, there was a moment that my dad was giving me the medicine. And I said to him, before I take this, if I learn to control my level of excitement, do I still have to take this? And he said, no. And so I realized at that very moment that if I can learn to direct all of this energy, all of this passion, all of this excitement into just a different direction and understand how to turn it off and how to turn it on and also mirror match who I'm talking to, I understood at that very moment how powerful the mind was, how powerful the brain was. But in school, on the playground, I wouldn't say I was doing any of what you were talking about. Yes, I didn't play kickball. Yes, I had friends that played kickball. I wasn't in any student organizations or student clubs. I wish that I was. I wasn't. School was tough. I was in solo classes. Uh, I, I was one of however many African-Americans in my elementary school, middle school, high school. So, so I'm a different guy than, than what I was way back when. And I would also say, Robbie, that the guy that you see today was that same guy in, in that same breath way back when. The difference is, I guess I was more of a, an observer and I didn't, I didn't speak as much. And I'm still an observer today, just in, just in a different way. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. So you, it sounds like, you know, what you first described seems like, you know, a kid with ADD or a, a hyperactivity disorder of some kind, you know, you're just full of verve and energy. I have a kid who's like that. So, you know, it's really hard to channel that. And I think um, and my kid's not quite 11. So, you know, that I'm hoping in a few more years that that idea like, oh, I have control over my own mind. Like that's a that's a very striking thing to understand as a child. I think there's still adults who don't fully appreciate that they have that um, and they relinquish that to other people or other substances. So you wanted to kind of be your own person even back then. 
um, you were kind of, it sounds like you were kind of quietly observing kind of what was going on. How, how do you, I mean, particularly like 11 means you're, you're around the corner from puberty, (laughs) teenage angst. How did you do trying to like channel that energy and not physically be climbing walls and getting in trouble for it? Did, Did you find something to latch onto to help you? What I would say in that, because that's a multifaceted question. I played video games a lot as a kid as well. So channeling energy into video games, wanting to pursue things within that space. And then I would also say number number two, I never never needed anyone's validation. What that means is I never needed my mom or my dad to validate what I was doing to say it was okay. I validated myself. And as a byproduct of that, if my mom or dad validated it, that was just a bonus. So I've always been that way in my entire life, and I have a high level of discipline. I'm a guy that can do things cold turkey. So I don't think that one needs to wean themselves off of whatever they're doing. I think you should just do it, make it up in your mind, commit to what it is that you said you're going to do, and from that, the rest is history. 11, 12 years old, did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Was there a a path in front of you? A path? Um, was there a path when I was a kid? To some degree, there were things I always questioned. I questioned to go to school, get good grades, get out, and you get this job, and you work that job until you're 50, 60 years old. You retire for 10, 15 years, and you get to live on all of the work that you put in years ago. I questioned that entire deal. Um, so it was more, more so finishing school. That was exciting to me, being able to go through elementary school, middle school, high school that was exciting and i view that from a racial perspective because typically speaking people that are african americans typically grow up in a broken household and i had the fortune to where i didn't grow up in a broken household my mom and dad were married until the day they both died so i got an opportunity to see what a unit looked like in that regard robbie i'm also adopted so i was blessed to not have to go to multiple homes i was stopped directly out of the hospital so I had that working in my favor. And I would also say that I've never done a drug, never had alcohol. So the cards that I've been dealt with, I can say that I'm truly blessed in that regard. I never struggled with any of those demons per se. Just It was just the cards that was dealt. And I'm honored and grateful to have those cards. Yeah, it's amazing that you're able to turn what sounds like challenging situations and the challenging orange story to one of triumph. Um, so it's not, it's not, oh, I was adopted, you know, which some people would then say I wasn't wanted. You were like, no, 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 I was really wanted. And then I had a great family and like, they loved each other and I got great role, role models. I got set up to have a live, you know, this great life. And yeah, I chose to, to participate in this way. Um, so it's real mindset. I mean, I feel like, uh, again, your, your exact life situation given to somebody else who had a very different mindset would probably have come out of it with a different understanding of how the world works and how, you know, the good or not of the world. Absolutely. I would agree. It happens all the time. People that are in the foster care system, they go from one house to another, to another, to another. And in some respects with the hopes that there's a family that will fall in love with them and want to adopt them and integrate them into the family. But in my case, I didn't, I didn't have to go from one house to another. I was only in one house and then was adopted. Yeah. Wow, that that's amazing. Um, so at twelve, did you think um, I know I'm going to be a certain thing? Like, was was college part of the plan? Were you going to go right to the workforce? It sounded like the 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 
the plan of like, you know, work X number of years and then retire wasn't really your thing. But was there something you were passionate about? Video games. I loved my favorite genre is fighting games. Favorite game I would say was Killer Instinct. And then second would be Mortal Kombat. Did, did you know anyone who was going to get paid doing that? <laughs> well, I was in a commercial way back when. So do you, do you remember when they had uh, Sega Channel? Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. So uh, I, I happened to get really good at it. I happened to go up to Charter at that time to be invited uh, to be a part of a commercial based on how good I was. And I also won a competition way back when. So did I believe there was something in the future for that? Cool. Yes, yes, I did. But that wasn't something where it wasn't my North Star. It wasn't something I was going to do and then retire doing it. I didn't even think that far out per se, because there was a lot of little things in the middle that were really valuable to me, such as attending a library card, understanding the value of a library, understanding the banking system, things that I just was not taught, but learned from friends and learned by observation in movies. There were things that were just so exciting besides figuring out what I'm going to be doing from a career path perspective. What happened at the end of high school? What was the plan after that? Went directly to college. So I went um, to St. Charles Community College here, and then I also went to a university. I went a total of probably three and a half years or so in pursuit of international business with a minor in Spanish and sign language. That's what I was in pursuit of. Mm -hmm. And something knocked you off course? Um, I got an opportunity in 2006 to be flown to California to teach break dancing. And so January 2006, I took the opportunity to go to California. I lived out there for about a year or so. And one of the things that brought me back was the health of my mother. That was one of the things that brought me back. And, and I would also some, say something else that played a role within that would have been my thought press, process around college because going to college, you're, you're absorbing all of the information. But if you actually put yourself out in the real world, that's the application in a way that college can give to one. Yeah. So in the introduction, I shared that you've, you know, built up these businesses, you're great relationship building. When did that, I, I guess, that passion or that skill set really get developed? Was this early on? Did you seek out people to talk to as you were trying to learn and grow and figure out your place in life? I would say one of my quotes is everyone you meet is your future. So if you are a person that lacks confidence and I'm sitting in front of somebody who has confidence, I get to see what the physical walking example of what confidence looks like. So when did it develop in terms of relationship building? I would say when I was introduced to business networking back in 2010. I, I'd never seen anything like that. I never knew that a space like that existed. And, and also, it, it's endless from a racial and cultural perspective because everybody has a philosophy. Everybody has an approach to the space. So endlessly, you can learn and apply those different things to your, to your game and have an endless game and approach to business networking. Who introduced you? Like, What was the circumstances that led to you even wanting to learn about business networking? A friend of mine invited me to an event in 2010. She was uber late. I got there early. I'm standing in line at an event, and the people that work in the signing table talked to every single person that came up to sign in. And when it came time for me to sign in, no one behind that table spoke to me. And I sat between two guys who never spoke to me either. I was notified about two or three weeks later 
they weren't used to having African Americans or minorities to be a part of their their event. And I realized quickly every room that I walked into from a business networking perspective, it didn't look like me. It missed the blind, deaf, hard of hearing. It, it it just it missed the mark. And even today, that is the enigma that most from a business networking perspective have not figured out. That's why it's over-indexed looking one way versus looking like a big melting pot. This is so interesting. So your first experience with business networking sounds like not a good one. So how did that not just turn you off to the whole thing? To, you know, I talk often about the difference between inviting people and welcoming them. So you were invited to come to something through, by a friend who then wasn't there to greet you, but then people were not welcoming. So how did you not just be like, eh, whatever? Well, just because you go to Starbucks and you get a bad coffee doesn't mean the whole business is broken. So I'm, I'm a very forgiven person. And I was excited to even be exposed to something like that. And at that time, I thought that networking like this only existed in my community, kind of like living in Maine, you're exposed to, to fresh lobster. So I never knew that networking existed globally. I never knew that. But once I found that out, I realized, wow, this is massive. And it also tapped into the love that I have for humans. But what I quickly realized was there wasn't a universal process that I could plug into, you could plug into, and maybe you're a part of an open networking organization, and I'm a part of a closed networking organization. But there wasn't some information that both of us could tap into, utilize that that's been measured and produce a measurable result. And so that is another thing I would say that, that, that made me not be turned off. It just showed me opportunity because many were after the same thing that I was after. Some knew it consciously, others knew it subconsciously. I got to say, that's still another piece that goes back to sort of mindset in the world, because, um, I mean, those not-so-subtle microaggressions that you, I mean, you live with, even when you're ordering a drink from Starbucks, right? Like, race doesn't go away. And to have that so overtly happen, um, in you know, due to their discomfort or whatever you might use to try to uh, explain <laughs> their rudeness. But for you to say, oh, there's an opportunity here. I mean, that's very entrepreneurial. What were you in the market to, to network about at the time? Um, were you in a business that sort of would be helped along? Like what, what even led you to think, oh, networking might be beneficial in this moment in my, my career or business? At that time, I was in the business of coffee. So we had free coffee and tea samples. So that was the business that I was in. But what I realized after someone would say, become a client of the product, they wouldn't ask me any more about the product. They would ask me more about networking because people were quite smitten per se on my approach to networking. So I'd find myself in a position to give networking advice. They would then utilize that advice. They would obtain a result. And they would come back and tell me the next time we would have a caffeinated moment. And then I would give them another answer to another question that they would provide. And that consistently grew and many people continuously asked me questions around networking. So I realized how big of a demand it was to teach people about the business networking model, but in general, business networking. So fascinating. So here you are doing sales around coffee, but your customers start to ask you or recognize that you have this like expertise or at least thoughtfulness around networking and start start tapping into that part of your brain 
And that helps, that's how you start to realize there's something here. I'm always curious when people start to realize that networking is something that is an actual skill that they could teach and also how they figure out how to make money off of it. Because I struggled with this myself. I mean, you've read my first book, Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. Um, I was teaching networking for like seven years before that book came out. And I, I was able to get speaking opportunities, but turning it into a coaching offer, really, I mean, my second book, I wrote about that experience of trying to figure out who that was for, because networking could be for everybody, but not everybody wants to pay for it. How did you start to figure out who were these people? I mean, clearly they were coming to you. Like, how, how do you figure out how to monetize the skill set that you've developed and turn it into a system and a process that you can keep sharing and repeating with other people? What I would tell you is I would move from coaching to consulting. So it's, it's one thing to coach, it's another to consult. And I'm quite critical when it comes to the word coaching because most people that coach have never actually done what they're actually coaching on or they don't actually have any real clients. And so how do I plan on monetizing that simple? Zero to 100 is being put into a, it's being put in place specifically for that, to be able to teach people how to network efficiently and effectively. And by us just focusing on creating better networkers from a micro perspective, we create better entrepreneurs, better outside sales reps, better human beings. And then from a macro perspective, say you're the president of say a chamber of commerce, we get to help you lower your attrition and retention. And so we position the networker to make more money. We position the, the networking organization to make more money, ultimately positioning zero to 100 to work with every networking organization across the globe. So you would just simply send your, send your, your networking friends to zero to 100, plug them into what we do have. And by way of that, we get to send them back to whatever networking organization they are a part of, thriving in a way that they're not thriving currently today. So, so I heard business development and I heard member retention as sort of two outcomes that come from the way you've developed your program and who the people who are attracted to those outcomes are the people that would really be excited to work with you. And I think that's, that's helpful distinction because again, a lot of people struggle with networking, but not, not as many people find it to be something they want to develop as a skill set. But if there is an outcome like that, like business development or member retention, that um, is very appealing to them. I think then they were willing to put the effort in to figure out, you know, what is this process? How do I do it? Uh, how how did you start to assess that out? I mean, 2010. Now we're 13 years later. So 2010, you were selling coffee. You start getting asked all this advice. How did you shift it the, like that into the business? And I know I know Carol, your wife, is part of this as well. But how did the two of you really? develop this process at what point did this become the main focus of the business like how many years ago did this become yeah the the business of of the work you do 2018 january 28 2018 is when i i would say first embarked upon the journey of wanting to develop this would be that time and i would also say to you going back to 2010 up to present day i didn't know i was going to create a, a business networking business per se, specifically focused on the educational aspect of business networking. I didn't, I didn't know that way back when. But what I also realized what would was that it'd be amazing to be paid a professional networker to get paid to take people to lunch, breakfast, or dinner, actively listen to listen, and then also 
listen to respond and connect those individuals to resources to help them do what they're already doing, but in a better way. And you also mentioned something too, Robbie, that you mentioned along the lines, most people don't know they want to network better until they, you ask them or pose that question to them because they only believe there's only one way to do it. So, so if you ask the majority of the people that you sit down with, if there was a way for you to do what you're doing, but in a more efficient and effective way, I would tell you the majority of them would say yes, whether they are a novice or they are a veteran, they would say yes to that. Which segues directly to my wife and I. We are polar opposite. My wife is not a person that's in love with networking, whereas I'm a person that's in love with networking. But we also are private in that same breath with different elements or aspects of our life. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I mean, the fact that you shifted this focus you know, eight years of having people pick your brain, basically, uh, eight, eight years of you helping people out, right? Like just as a byproduct of who you are in the world and how you're curious and you like to teach and you're good at learning and sharing what you've learned. And then you just say, okay, this is going to become an actual business. I'm creating a process. Um, when, so two years later, uh, the pandemic hits, how did the shift to virtual, if at all, did it, did it impact the way you were approaching your business? Very much so. So, uh, so we already had years worth of plans already laid out, and so when the when twenty twenty happened, all we simply did was look at our existing two, three, four year plans, and we just modified it based on the current landscape of business, and so it allowed us to come out even stronger than what we were already going to come out to do. And did I ever think that we were going to be destroyed by the pandemic? Absolutely not. I knew that we would come out standing 10 feet tall. And then all of the things that were transpiring over that time of 2020, 2021, and then you had the whole racial aspect, which zero to 100 is rooted in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that ties directly to our core values, which are the acronym BIG. B stands for belonging, meaning everyone's voice matters. I stands for inclusive, meaning everyone has a seat at our table. And G is my favorite word, gratitude, being grateful and thankful for the I and the B. Without those two letters, we wouldn't have any core values. So the, the 2020 has highlighted what we were already doing. Yeah, a lot happened that year. And particularly, you know, you're, you're you know, living in a space that uh, is multiracial, has a, has a long history of race. I know, noted in your introduction that you have been very well received and recognized. It's interesting to think about how, you know, in 2010, people didn't know how to even greet you properly at a networking event. And then, you know, years later, you're getting the key to the city because of the work you've done on behalf of the business, uh, local business area. What was that trajectory like for you on a personal level to, to go and now, like to be someone who's really transformed the landscape, not just for you, but for a lot of other people of color, a lot of other black people who are living in the area, has there been a shift or is, are there more integrated networking events now or like how, how has that impact uh, sort of shown up in, in the real world? How has that shown up? Um, I would say yes. Um, it has changed the way people view business networking, especially those that want to explore why it is an unique one when you walk into a room, it doesn't have blind, deaf, hard of hearing. So there are people that very much want to discuss that and are consciously aware that that does exist. And so to be able to have a book, which puts me in a position of authority per se, and to be able to reference specific things 
it, it's been, um, I would say transformational for me. And I would also say transformational for some of the people that, that know me. And, and Robbie, there's something else I must note. When I first started networking, I set out to achieve a very large goal, which is to create this story. There's a saying, story, sell, facts, tell. So in 90 days, my goal when I first began networking was to meet and schedule 500 cups of coffee in 90 days. And I did it in 74 days. And then 45 days thereafter, I had another 500 meetings that took place. And the objective was to, when I would meet with you, I would take notes in terms of what questions you specifically asked me, what questions I asked you. It would also be, did you greet me? Did I greet you? What kind of coffee you consume? So it was, it was really understanding and studying the space of business networking. And by way of doing that, I've been able to put a book together that covers the whole gamut on networking, regardless of the gender-based group you're in, regardless of the religious-based group you're in, regardless of if it's closed or open, structured or unstructured. Zero to 100 is a book of information from a business networking perspective that is universal to all. All right. I got to go back to this 500 cups of coffee in 74 days and then another 545 days later um, in person, right? So this is 2018 timeframe? No, this is when I first began networking in 2010. Okay. So you didn't know anybody. So this is really fascinating. How do you find a thousand people? who are willing to meet you for a cup of coffee in roughly, you know, what, six weeks, like, or nine weeks or whatever it was. So yeah, well over a hundred days, it was 74 days. And then yeah, uh, 45 days thereafter. Absolutely. And to, to answer your question, how do you find those individuals? Well, if you're, uh, if you are giving value to somebody and you've had an incredible experience with someone, they will run through a brick wall to tell everybody in their network that you have to meet this guy. And so I knew that I brought one, my belief system to the table, meaning I believe people. So I would often tell people to borrow my belief system until they got their own. Number two, I knew that I would out introduce you to more people than you've ever met in your entire life based on people being naturally attracted to me. And I knew in the space of business networking at that time, most people aren't being warmly introduced to anyone. They don't even know what that even looks like. And those same people that don't know what it looks like show up at events by themselves. So when I would meet with somebody and I would give them the Joseph Luckett experience, I would have four to five days each and every week where I was having a warm introduction to Sue, John, Billy, and Mike. And then all of the new people that I was meeting, I was then recycling those individuals to meet the new people that I was being warmly introduced to. And if you do that long enough, you'll hit, um, you'll, you'll hit something called compounding interest per se, but in the context of network. Right. So, so that's how well over a thousand people. And even today, consistently warm introductions happening without me having to go to a networking organization, um, yeah. 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 I mean, it, it sure beats the idea of um, walking to a room cold and not knowing anyone. Uh, I had I, I often put myself in the experience of being a newbie now and again, because I'm usually the host. And it's a very different experience when you're hosting all the time or speaking or something. So I attended a, um, a new association chapter meeting. But beforehand, 
I reached out, found someone on their board, asked about their newsletter, offered to write content for their newsletter, got connected to that person, had an article come out in their newsletter in January, a week later, went to my first meeting, sought out, was trying to find that particular person that I knew from the board. I, I vaguely met one person, but then had worked with this newsletter person. Uh, on my way to trying to find them, was asking around to me. I knew all the board member name tags. So meet all the no board member people, take selfies with all the board people. Um, before my second meeting uh, and another article in the newsletter, I shared on Facebook and LinkedIn the selfies. And I'm not a big selfie person, but like I was like, hey, it was really great seeing all these people. I'll be back again. So by, by like the second meeting, they're like, will you join the board? I was like, no, I can't do that. You know, like, like when people show up in that like, boom, kind of way, um, you know, there's, they're so surprised. Um, you know, I really like by the third meeting, you know, really connected with a bunch of people. And I actually made a really good friend from that who, who I still stay in touch with years later. So I think that it, the same effort to go three times over a year, year and a half versus three really show up kind of ways. Like, you know, you get really present and then you can have all those coffees and stuff to get to know people outside of those meetings too. And now virtually we can do Zoom calls as well, which is wonderful. I'm curious, um, I have a question. What year did you write your book? Because you, you keep referencing the book and that is a pivotal thing in a business is to come up with a book like that. I think it really does elevate how people perceive you. So when did the book come out? April, 2021 is when it launched. Yeah. So the middle of the pandemic, you pulled off writing a book. Um, cool. Yeah. And how has, how has life changed since having the book? Uh, immensely. So as you and I both know, networking is not something that's taught in school. So I would have to say the support of one, my community. So my elementary school, has it in the teacher's lounge. My high school has it in the library for current and future students. My college has brought it in as well. That was as of three or four weeks ago. We have another major university that's bringing it in to do some very unique things as well. The mayor has also, uh, my community has endorsed the book. And then it's backed by the GOAT of Business Networking, Ivan Meiser of Business Networking International, along with Stephen David Elliott, who owns the largest networking organization in the world from a happy hour perspective, so on and so forth. So it's been life-changing in that regard because the book does all the talking for me. Right. Yeah, it is, opens doors. It's a great, uh, it's an extended business card in a lot of ways. It gives, adds value, great leave away. So people uh, can be left with information. It's really cool. It paves the way for you. So uh, when it comes to actually your own personal networking. I've heard a little bit about it, but you know, you've got that sort of inner circle of people that you know you're going to stay in touch with. And then I always wonder about that sort of second and third tier or layers out, people that you might see once a year at a conference, or maybe you worked together five years ago, but you haven't had a reason to since. Oh, and you like these people and they like you. Let's <laughs> just preface with that. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of connections with those weaker, weaker ties? There's, I would, I'm going to give you two things that you can do. One, you can do some double, triple, and quad dating. That, that's a touch point. And then two, if you're a person that goes to the gym, you can have some of those individuals join you in the gym. And so that would be two different touch points that you could do to put in place. Explain that first one. 
the double dating. So what we typically do is we bring couples together and maybe they only know Joseph. And so I bring individuals together based on their behavior style and based on their personality. I typically will bring those individuals together where we're sitting and eating. And then I get to put myself in the position of what you reference as a host. And I get to introduce the various couples together, knowing that I've already had coffee with every one of those individuals at the table. So I know their interests. I know they're going to be quite deep. And from that point, life happens and they start to do life amongst each other, which is a natural touch point. And then some of those same people are now connecting on Facebook. And then if I make a post, both of them are in the comment section commenting on what I'm saying. And I was the one that brought them together, which consistently gels everybody together. So you have an endless touch point. So are these, um, are these just two, you and one other couple, or are these dinner parties that you're gathering people around? Or like, what's the structure? Structure is picking a restaurant and it, it could be one couple or it could be 12 couples and we're bringing them together. So I wouldn't say it's a dinner party. It's just one of the things that's very intimate to me and special to me is sharing a meal with someone because that's a very personal thing. And so I know that the objective is not just to meet you one time. The objective is how do we put things or, or how do we put things in place to be able to stay in contact with each other so you're just not a great Facebook memory. So consistently thinking about that. Did any of your strategies shift as um, the pandemic like shut down the opportunity to meet indoors in restaurants? Like, did you shift to any kind of virtual opportunities to do this kind of thing? Sure did, sure did. But I was already doing the virtual aspect of networking way before the pandemic ever happened. So 2020 just echoed something that I had already been doing. 2020 made people pay attention to the person. It wasn't showing up at their chamber every week and going through the motion. It actually made you pay attention to Robbie and ask personally how you're doing, how your family's doing. And that to me is the crux of business networking. You should be wanting to know about that person on a personal level. And as a byproduct, you'll naturally learn about what they're doing in business. So other than uh, hosting gatherings in person, uh, inviting people to come hang out with you at the gym, those are all sort of higher touch points. Is there other stuff like habits, philosophies, or practices that um, you've employed? Like, do you, do you use a CRM or a spreadsheet? Like, how do you track the, I mean, thousands of people that you've had one-on-one -on -one contacts with and make sure to circle back to them in some sort of interval? Is there some process you're doing to keep track of all this? I, I don't use a CRM system because there's always a new CRM system. So I don't use a CRM system. I do have my phone categorized by industry. So there's about 84 different industries. So I have different categories. So when I'm meeting somebody, I slot them directly into that particular category. And then there, there is an event that I had years ago called a thank you event where I invited people to a room, paid for their food, and none of them knew why they were there. And the objective was, one, to introduce everybody that was in the room that has made me feel a certain way and then also tell them how much they mean to me. So that was an incredible, um, incredibly large touch point. And then throughout the year, there's different, maybe a post or so where I'm highlighting different people that have really truly touched me. And then in December is my gratitude month where I don't do any networking. It is my time to look over my entire year of canceled meetings rescheduled meetings. It's my time to uh, 
uh, send out handwritten postcards to the people that I met that have truly touched me over the years. It's my time to review my calendar for the following year. I typically start working on that in October. So December is my my month of gratitude where I don't do any meetings. And the only time I do a meeting is if that if there's a meeting that I have to take that can't wait till the following year. Mm-hmm. How long have you been spending December doing that? Well over a decade. Wow. That's really great. Yeah. And you mentioned your wife. So how long have you two been married? We have been married nine years as of March 2nd this year. You've, you've both grown a lot. I mean, this is just what we've talked about since 2010. So much has happened. Uh, and to have someone like that by your side, um, wanting to, you know, co-host these meals and, and go out and do these things together, be part of your business. And I, I feel like, you know, when you marry well, <laughs> when you marry well, it makes a huge difference. People get you and believe in you. So a year from now, uh, you know, I, I realized, hey, it's been a year, Joseph, since you and I sat down and had that conversation. Um, I'm going to want to know a year from now, hey, what are you celebrating? What are you looking like? What, what are the big things we're going to be toasting to a year from now? What are you most looking forward to? What am I most looking forward to? I would say the different announcements that we do have. So you said a year from today, we are in March. So March next year, we would have had one, two, three different major announcements happen. That's what we will be toasting to. It's uh, three other elements of our zero to 100 business model. Are you going to give us a sneak peek to any of them? Um, can't give you a sneak peek. <laughs> and that, that is a cliffhanger if there ever was one. Folks, you're going to have to stay tuned. Speaking of which, how can folks find you and follow your work? Joseph Luckett on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Reddit, on Pinterest, and also on Alignable. I can be found there under the same name, Joseph Luckett. Great. We'll put all those links in the show notes at onthishmoose.com. Joseph Luckett, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joseph. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at onthishmoose.com. Look for episode 327. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry, I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.